The question is this, what is it that has some of us find our way to the top of our game to overcome adversity and challenges, resistance and self-sabotage, to rise from the ashes time and time again? What is it that has everyday people just like you and I act boldly in the name of their passions and live out their wildest dreams in this lifetime? That is the question, and this podcast has the answers. My name is Carrie McCauley, and this is Choose Unstoppable. Hello and welcome to another episode of Choose Unstoppable. Today I am so thrilled you guys to bring you Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Take a listen to this bio. He's an organizational psychologist, a best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people and are featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and so many more. He's a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today. And if that wasn't enough, from 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. Okay, and here's where it's going to get a little personal. And this is, I got to say, that was all incredible. This is my favorite part about you. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children through the foster system in February of 2018, which just thanks for being the kind of human that does that. It's so, so heartwarming. And then one month later, his wife, Lauren, becomes pregnant with twins who were born in December of 18, and they now live in Orlando. Welcome, welcome, and thanks for being here. It is my pleasure, my honor. Happy to be with you. Awesome. Okay, so that's pretty impressive. But on top of all of that, you've now just written another book, called Personality Isn't Permanent, which, might I add, is pretty impressive given you've got five kids, two of which are twins that are 18 months old. And I got to tell you, if I had, if I was handing out medals, my friend, you would be getting one today. Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, I'm, I, my I, wife deserves the praise. Let's just say that. I'm sure she does. My heart is going out to her in quarantine right now with <laughs> my kids. And you just shared that you guys are expecting another. Huge congratulations for that. Um, but... I do want to jump right into this idea about personality not being permanent. Mm -hmm. If you could just start us off by expanding a little on what you mean when you say that, just to provide us all some context, because then I'd love to get into some discussions about how that came to be for you to personally choose a topic like this and to write a book like this, and also how we can kind of our Choose Unstoppable audience can start to you know, take some of those, take it as a tool to help us move forward in our own lives with our own challenges. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely I would use this as a tool. <laughs> um, so I'll, I guess I'll explain why I wrote the book, um, give a little context as to kind of reframing how we look at personality uh, and then ultimately how you can use it as a tool. And awesome. I'll try to give those in very small, you know, blips or whatever so that we can go deeper into them but I, I read i personally i wrote this book after i read the book the body keeps the score not sure if you've read that one yeah. um yeah read that book i was actually digging into it more out of an interest of how trauma shapes addiction uh, that had a big impact on me writing willpower doesn't work because i come from a huge background of addiction mm. but the thing that shocked me or surprised me personally while reading the body keeps the score was all about personality and about how trauma freezes, uh, shapes personality, gets you stuck in the past, um, essentially shrinks your comfort zone. It, it leads you to being emotionally rigid. And 
obviously in order to grow and learn and things like that, you've got to step out of your comfort zone. Um, and you've got to deal with emotions. You've got to handle uncertainty. And so I just thought that was really interesting because one of the core premises of psychology is that the best way to predict a person's future is by looking at their past. You know, the general view is, is that personality is stable over time, although there's a lot of new research that kind of debunks that. And so I just thought, okay, one of the major reasons why personality can get stuck or frozen is because of trauma, unresolved trauma, that is. And so I just wanted to better understand that. And that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of, in my opinion, better understand, uh, better explaining what personality actually is, that it is fluid, it's contextual, it can and does change, it can and does get stuck, uh, and it's very much in our control. And, and it has a lot to do with how emotionally developed we become as people, how emotionally flexible we become. Mm -hmm. And so my view of personality in a lot of ways is that it's your comfort zone. And obviously with unresolved trauma, you build huge walls around that to like avoid handling emotions, you know, and, and you get stuck in a narrative and in a story. So I, I wrote the book, you know, I've been through a lot of trauma in my life and I just felt like this would be a good way of helping people understand change and how it works. And so that was what led me down that rabbit hole. There's also a lot of just, you know, myths that I felt like could be debunked, such as per the personality test world and things like that. Just, I just felt like there was a lot of, a lot of birds that I could kill with this one stone. <laughs> and so I just felt like this was a, a good opportunity to write this book. Uh, I'll just go ahead and give a little bit of a sequence of ideas as far as like, you know, some really cool new research. Um, that will be helpful and then we can go whatever way you want to go with this. One thing I will say is, is that a typical way of looking at personality is that it's kind of based on the pain pleasure model. Like a lot of people say like you avoid things that are painful, you pursue things that are natural or pleasurable. My view is, is that when you have a, a purpose for your life, like something that you're pursuing or striving for, that pain and pleasure don't necessarily determine your decision making. It's actually your, your future goal and your purpose that determines your decision making. So your future self, a lot of research on future self. And obviously, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning talks a lot about the need for purpose and stuff like that. And so the argument of this book is, is that your purpose should actually be the thing dictating your personality. One quick thing just to quickly explain is, is that identity and personality are two different things. And in my opinion, identity is actually enormously more important. Identity is how you define and describe yourself. And often people get very rigid in their identity. They overly explain themselves. That's actually one of the reasons why, in my opinion, type-based personality tests are they're non-helpful. Although they're not good science, they actually uh, lead to very strong senses of identity. But, what, the, but what, what happens is your identity or your self-concept drives your behavior and your behavior over time becomes your personality. And so you can actually become very strategic about your identity. You don't have to hold your current identity so loosely. And in fact, what the research shows is that most people, if they actually think about it, who they are today is not who they were 10 years ago, you know, and same in the future. Your future self is going to be different in five, 10 years from now. And so the goal is actually that you don't overly define your current self because your current self is actually temporary. Carol Dweck's work says the same thing. You know, you want to have a growth mindset, you know, don't want to be so definitive in who you are. And so rather than being so, so intense about your current, current identity, you actually want to hold your, your, hold your current identity a little bit more loosely and focus on your future self, the person you want to be, and make decisions based on what your current self, or your, sorry, your future self would prefer. And that actually allows you to go through a deep learning process. And so it's just important to realize that you've, you already have changed, you're going to change. And so as a result, you probably shouldn't overly assume that the person you are today is the person you're always going to be. I love that. And so, you know, when I think of the word personality, there are some kind of like habit-based traits that kind of feel like discussing, you know, uh, uh, that make up personality. And then things like funny or, or yeah, like quirks. And so 
if I were to describe myself, mm-hmm. it, how would you loosely, how would you loosely still be describing yourself or are those things fixed? Like the fact that I say I'm funny or I'm outgoing or I, I mean, those are identity statements because you're describing yourself. Yeah. Um, but there's certain obviously aspects of our personalities that there's zero reason to change, you know, the various quirks and things right. like that. And yeah. so like, but if you wanted to change them, you could. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like if you needed to learn how to write with your left hand, you could. Right. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it's something that's working in your life and it's forwarding. Yeah. Then- yeah if there's no reason to change yeah. it, you know, and, and the only way that you can tell that is by clearly defining your future self, you know, and by clearly defining your future self, the person you actually want to be, that then points the direction for who you, who you should become. Uh, and obviously various aspects of your current self could be a part of that equation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's a really rich conversation. And I know just if we back up a little bit, you had pointed to kind of these personality tests um, being uh, less than helpful. I can't remember the exact words you use, but just non-scientific. And I know there are many people, uh, especially even in the, in the personal growth and personal development world, who put a lot of weight on on some of the more serious ones, maybe not like which is my spirit animal kind of test, but some of the Myers-Briggs or some of the, the, the more hardy tests. And so how do you kind of reconcile that if I, I were to take a test and my husband takes a test and mine kind of feels like me and it's different than his and his kind of feels like him. Are you just saying that it's, it's, don't get yourself fixed there. It doesn't have to be you. Or are you saying that it's actually not a good representation of who you are? What What's your view on the, on the personality test? Uh, well, like from a scientific perspective, mm-hmm. um, the, any type-based personality test is something that I would not suggest. Um, that's mm-hmm. not really how psychologists view personality. Uh, I will actually share with you a link, but one of the, one of the problems with those tests is, is that often they like all the questions are kind of like multiple choice where they'll give you like four options and often, you know, none of the options actually fit. It's a forced choice questionnaire. And that's not actually a good way that psych, that's not how psychologists frame questions. <laughs> um, like when they're trying to get data, we actually base it on what we call like a Likert scale. Have you ever heard of a Likert scale? Like somewhat very much so is that the like yeah yeah yeah. like um i don't know if you can i don't know if i'm gonna have the oh yeah well yeah basically you got like between five and seven or like five and ten we're like new you know like never or always you know and you can you do it on a scale where it's like so you can actually say that this does not reflect me at all (laughs) or you can say it reflects me a little bit like two out of ten you know and like it's a lot more fine-grained like that's if you actually look at any good scientific tests in psychology whether it's like carol I mean, like, uh, well, Dweck's work on mindset, whether it's stuff on emotional intelligence, whether it's like, you know, grit, any good test, you will see that that's how all the tests are designed. Cause that's, gen- you know, and, and the type-based personality tests are kind of more like cheap science. They're just kind of like, um, but also, um, yeah. And I was told over and over by all my professors, like, that's not how you measure personality. Those tests aren't valid. Um, and there's a lot of like good research showing that they're, they're pretty problematic, but my main concerns with them, to be honest with you, are what they do to people's identity. Um, they do give you a, a label you identify even as an extrovert or extrovert or an introvert, like with how we would measure psycho uh, personality, which is with the big five. And I even think that the big five, which is the most scientific 
uh, theory of personality is very flawed even, but you would never actually call yourself an introvert or an extrovert. You would, you know, you may be like slanting towards extroversion, you know what I mean? But you wouldn't actually call yourself that because it's not actually true. Um, you're a person that slants that way, right? In certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I would never call myself either of those things personally, but the problem with labels is that first off you seek to confirm them you seek to justify them you seek to defend them if someone you know and it is your identity narrative it's your story and so one of the things about that like so there's a lot of research for example from ellen langer at harvard where she's studied mindfulness for like 40 years and if you've overly assumed a label then you become mindless to all the times the label is actually not true you know labels create tunnel vision and so um, that's one problem is, is that you actually think you're being more consistent with your label than you're not. But also my major concern is, is that it actually colors who you think you're going to be in the future. If you're so definitive in your current, current identity, then you assume that who you are today is the finished product. And, uh, Daniel Gilbert at Harvard, who gave a great Ted talk called the psychology of your future self, big, you know, great amount of research on this subject. Now he talks about how human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. <laughs> you know, and I think that when we're defining our future, I mean, our current self so strongly, we actually assume that our future self is going to be the same person. And that's what he's found over and over in his research is that people underplay change that they're going to experience in the future because they assume that who they are right now is who they're always going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think that strong labels really do that. They stunt your uh, imagination and they stunt uh, your desire to mm-hmm. become someone who's got enhanced capabilities. And so you just say, this is who I am. So therefore, I'm going to pursue goals that fit who I am. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so here we are then with kind of this flexible, fluid state that we can grow into. The present is very flexible and fluid. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is a beautiful. It's a beautiful place to be, meaning kind of almost like the the anything's possible from who we are right here. So then what are some, what, what do we do with that though here, you know, some of us listening to this may be like, okay, well, I've been quite fixed and I can now see that. What are some ways that I can start to, you know, loosen up this rigidity and what are some tools, what are the actual things to do to help me um, get out of that fixed nature? Mm -hmm. Usually it has to do with your story about your past and also your goal for the future. Like, you know, often we have unresolved trauma, for example, like negative emotional experiences that we've gone through that we're still defined by, um, that we still, you know, whatever may have happened, you know, yeah, could have been a, like a, a bad episode, such as like a form of abuse, or it could have just been like you tried to write a blog post and it went bad. And so you decide not to do it again, you know, like, and so you can't be defined by the former experience. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's literally about choosing better meanings for your former experiences, choosing meanings that support your future self versus choosing meanings that support you not doing anything about it. And that's, that's a hard emotional conversation. I like the quote from Dan Sullivan, all progress starts by telling the truth. Um, journaling about your former experiences is obviously huge. And obviously then having open and healthy conversations where you're, you become more and more willing to be vulnerable and honest about what you've experienced, how it's impacted you. And then choosing a better meaning. Uh, in my opinion, it's far more powerful to view the past as something that happened for you rather than something that happened to you. So whatever it may have been, you know, whatever, literally whatever it may have been (laughs) as bad as it could have been, even if, you know, you were paralyzed (laughs) in like some crazy accident, if you can choose to view and give the meaning of that experience that it happened for you, then you can have all sorts of agency for what you can do in the future. If it happened to you, then 
you know, your future has very little, little options yeah. um, because you're focused on why you're stuck. And that's really the key of knowing like about the past is that the past is solely a meaning that none of us have an objective view of the past. There's no one way of looking at it. And so it's really about choosing meanings and you know, you might as well choose a meaning that supports your future versus allows you to stay stuck. And that takes, that takes work. It takes a lot of work to be able to face things and choose a different perspective on it. I mean, even just like last weekend, I had an experience where I had a pretty huge failure, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and I was embarrassed in front of some people I had some huge respect for. And I was so ashamed that I was actually thinking about leaving this group that I've been a part of and have great friends in because I was so embarrassed by what happened. And I was just able to quickly, you know, about 24 hours later, voice my, uh, my concerns to the, to the person involved. And I was able to quickly reframe my experience so that I am choosing to say that it was a great experience. <laughs> and I genuinely believe it because if I learned from it, then my future can be better. So I think that's one up. That's one side of the equation is really choosing how you view your past, choosing how you frame your past, choosing, you know, and in psychology, we call it refractory periods, but it, you know, a refractory period is the amount of time it takes to emotionally recover from an event. And so the goal is, is that you actually emotionally recover quicker and quicker. You know, if you, if you still haven't recovered from something from like five, 10 years ago, then like, that's a, that's a long period of time to be dwelling in an event. Um, you want to shrink the refractory period so that you can get back to focusing on the future, back to learning. Um, then I think the next steps are honestly, you just have to define who your future self is. Like that's, that's an ongoing process as well, but your future self should be the thing that dictates your current identity and your current behavior because without knowing who your future self is or without defining who that person is. And I think probably two to three years is a good time frame. Like who do you want to be in two to three years from now? If you have a broader perspective of where you want to be in like 10, 15, 20 years, that can obviously help. But on a very practical level, like who's the person you want to be in two or three years from now? What are your future circumstances? What are you focused on? How much you know, money are you making? Like, what are you like? What are your relationships? Like, like without defining those things, you can't actually make intentional decisions here and now. A lot of research on that out of UCLA, like Hal Hirschfield and others, they've studied how when you make decisions based on your future self's preferences, you'll actually make better decisions here and now. Because, was, yeah. I mean, if I'm only making decisions based on what I want in the moment, I might just be eating donuts, like just, it'd be all dopamine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so you need a future self, you know, and then yeah. you need to start directing your story in that direction and start moving in that direction. It feels a tidy bit like a catch 22 is that my present self, kind of has these this fixed lid to it or at least you know even if I'm trying to loosen it up a little bit and that that's the person who's the one dreaming like how do what are some things we can do to kind of take the lid off what we think is even possible for our future selves while we're still in this kind of state or is it imperative that we do all that past work first so that we can dream uh, I don't think you have to do all the past work first I do think that it's an ongoing process you know, yeah. my future self is going to view my past differently than my current self. You know, you can't do all the past work at once because the truth is, is you're going to learn things in the future that will help you do better past work. And so I think it's good to do what work you need to be doing right now that you could be doing because wherever you're at right now, hopefully you have a more mature perspective and more courage, hopefully, than your former self. And you can choose to look at your former experiences better. Um, we all have current caps on our current self. There are definitely ways to expand that. A uh, big part of it is making any form of courageous action. You know, 
courage is always the way to build confidence and confidence is the thing that expands your vision of the future. And so, you know, by actually having some form of goal and taking some form of courageous action in that direction, which is generally just facing uncertainty, getting used to being outside your comfort zone, like that's how you actually get out of being so rigid is you, you put yourself in new situations. Uh, you try new things, you seek help, you tell people you you need help. It's kind of like the addict, honestly. I think about addiction. You know, I know that it, someone's ready to overcome an addiction when they start saying they need help and that they can't do it by themselves, but that they're ready to make this change. Um, that level of vulnerability and courage is a huge first step. And as you start making progress, that cap that you're talking about starts to go away. Yeah. Um, but you need to actually get outside your comfort zone and get a little bit more comfortable out there and watch yourself make some progress, watch yourself actually doing something different than you've typically done, hearing yourself talk about your goals, seeking support, uh, maybe putting yourself in better environments or getting new information, the cap starts to fade pretty quick and you start to really get clear and clear and more committed on that future self. And it starts to become something you're excited about and something you're less ashamed about, something you're not worried about. Um, you know, you don't need to be there today. Like I'm not my future self yet. Uh, the person I am right now is someone who I dreamed about being in the past, you know, but the person I want to be in the future, I'm totally capped. I'm not there yet, but I'm, but I'm putting myself in situations that are transforming me to become that person. I love that confidence, courage cycle that you just kind of broke down. Cause sometimes we can kind of wait until we feel confident to take the step but you're actually flipping it and saying the only way to build that confidence is to take the courage, do the courageous act. Confidence is a byproduct. Mm -hmm. It very much is. I mean, yeah. your current level of confidence is the platform through which you can be courageous, you know, but as you act courageous, you build your confidence and confidence really is the key. Uh, you know, confidence is, comes through being exposed to new things. It comes through watching yourself take action. It comes through believing in yourself. And so, Confidence is something we can all build. We can build it doing small activities, you know, waking up when we say we're going to wake up, you know, just getting a few wins in the morning, like, but also acting courageously, trying new things, watching yourself do it. I mean, you know, my ability to have this conversation, although I'm a little tired right now, because literally I had to finish a book today, but um, like my ability to do this, like, and your ability to do this is based on our confidence from what we've done in the past, right? But also our goals in the future and in the future, we'll probably be able to do this better. But right now we're doing what we're doing because we're willing to try. And I think that that's a big aspect of courage is that it's the willingness to try, even if it might not work out. You've got to leave that like safe zone of, of certainty and you've got to be willing to go into the place of uncertainty. And you can't actually have freedom without uncertainty. You can't make choices without uncertainty. And so really you just have to say, do I want to stay in this place where it's certain or do I want to have freedom and choice? And if you, if you want those things, then you need uncertainty. <laughs> and where uncertainty is, that's where you've got to learn how to become psychologically flexible and learn how to be less absorbed in your emotions, learn how to be less caught up in your current identity and in your current caps and stop worrying about those things so much, actually, because your current self really doesn't matter that much. You know? So it's okay if you've got those caps because your current self really doesn't matter. What matters actually is your future self yeah. um, and who you're striving to be. So I don't really care about my current limitations, <laughs> you know? Yeah, as long as you continue to take courageous acts, small steps of courageous acts, it, the, the lid inevitably raises itself. Totally, and, totally. Yeah. Who I'm going to be in two days from now is going to be different than who I am today. So why should I really be so concerned about who I am today? Yeah. As long as you're taking action, which is driven by this kind of future-paced goal that you've set. Exactly. 
Yeah, there's a lot of important work from yeah. Frankel, though, that I think puts this into perspective. Do you know Frankel's work, Man's Search for Meaning? I mean, I know of his story, but I've still yet to read the it book. It fits your podcast, so perfect. So I'll just, do you care if I just read you like a quote or two of his? Please do, yeah. Well, because I just think um, your podcast, it's, it's so important. So basically this, Victor Frankl survived the Holocaust. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting is, is that he talked about how in that situation, so these are people who their lives had been stripped from them. Most of their family had been killed. They'd been starved for like years. They'd been watching people like die in constant, you know, in like gas chambers. Mm -hmm. These are people like in ridic ridiculous living conditions. Um, and what Frankl observed was, is that when people lost sense of hope in the future and had a loss of purpose, then the present became meaningless. And then therefore the suffering became unbearable. And so without hope, suffering becomes purposeless. And you, in those situations, people died. So like people often in the concentration camps, they would put their hope into a future date. Like they would put their hopes in like, I think we're gonna get out at Christmas. I believe we're gonna get out at Christmas. And then when it wouldn't happen, the death rates would spike right after Christmas. Because once they lost that hope, they literally lost meaning to live or will to live. And so the reason why this is so important is that if you have a clear future self and if you have a purpose and if you have a sense of, you know, like a sense of future, then that allows you to handle whatever you're going through right now. It allows you to deal with the uncertainty. It allows you to deal with the suffering. So here's a few quotes from Frankel with all that in mind. He said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. So like the circumstances don't matter. From his perspective, even being in a concentration camp became something that was actually, I don't, I don't think he'd go as far as saying enjoyable, but very meaningful because he had a sense of purpose. He, ha he saw a future self beyond the Holocaust. He saw himself writing books and doing things. He had a sense of mission that allowed him to get beyond it. Here's a few other quotes from Frankel. He said, happiness cannot be attained by wanting to be happy. It must come as an unintended consequence of working for a goal greater than oneself. And then here's, here's, here's one more. This one's interesting. You'll like this one. It says, he says, I considered a dangerous misconception of mental hygiene to assume that what man needs in the first place is equilibrium or what, in, or what is called in biology homeostasis, i.e. attentionless state. He says, what man actually needs is not attentionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. So it's like, I, I think that, you know, the present may suck. Yeah. You know, in relative terms, because it's hard. You're you're pursuing a future. You're, but it but it's incredibly meaningful and actually enjoyable. That level of joy is very different from moment by moment pleasure, because it has purpose, it has meaning, it has context, and also there's a lot of richness to it. And so, like a lot of my experiences raising five kids and even writing these books and being exhausted and waking up at two in the morning, I wouldn't say that they were pleasurable in the moment, but incredibly meaningful and very mm. transformative because they were being filtered through my future self and my purpose. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes absolute sense. And it's, you know, just so uh, meaningful to, you know, the Choose Unstoppable audience, to the people listening today. I would love to ask kind of one last specific question is that if someone is listening in right now who is in that darker window what would you say is the right from there like the underbelly moment from there what is the next step 
Yeah, all progress starts by telling the truth. I think that uh, you know the, that darkness dissipates pretty quick when you when you start opening up and telling people about it. Like it takes courage to tell people about it. Uh, and so I think you know there's a really good quote basically that says that trauma isn't what happens to you. This is from Peter Levine, but he said trauma isn't what happens to you; it's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. So I think, you know, it's what you're holding inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Human beings need connection. I mean, even from an addiction standpoint, they say that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. So like you need to become very vulnerable and open up and share why it's so dark, share what the crap's going on and why it's so horrible. You know, you know, if you just became like, you know, whatever you're dealing with, you've got to open up and share it. You know, Franklin even... Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book Man, um, Body Heat Square, they all say the same thing. You know, they, it's another word for emotional regulation, but they say that, you know, emotion, emotion ceases to be suffering when you give it a clear picture. <laughs> and you can give it a clear picture by getting it outside yourself, by talking about it and by thinking about it and then beginning to digest it while it's out in the open. And usually it gets out in the open through words. Um, so just as an example, like when I voiced my concerns last weekend to my friend, and this was a very minor situation compared to a lot of the people you're talking about, maybe the listeners, but I was still incredibly embarrassed. And I was in such a painful emotional state that I felt like I needed to get out of the situation. I needed to remove myself from a lot of the important relationships that have really developed me as a person. And with that black and white thinking, my future options became very limited. Um, and, but I luckily had, I shared my feelings with someone who's close to me, who I knew would have no judgment and who would openly listen. And she encouraged me and I was grateful for it. And through the conversation, I became encouraged to share my feelings with one of these people who's really important, who I have a lot of respect for. And I just openly shared, I said, this is what I'm feeling. I don't know if I should be a part of your group anymore. Like, uh, I just don't know if I am a contributing member and I don't know if this group can contribute to me anymore. Like I'm just going through an introspection stage, just being very open and honest. And then over the weekend we were able to have conversations and I was able to think about it. And, uh, and then at some point or another, I chose, I was actually thinking about my mom because my mom actually told me that this last mother's day was the best mother's day she's ever had, which was interesting. Cause like my one, my, my, young, my younger brother's in a treatment facility um, but she said, but no, but he was able to talk to her and it was a great conversation and he's in a good, getting a good place. But she just, she said that she had a few good conversations and she was just having a good day and she's just in general in a pretty good place in her life. But we were talking, I said, well, you know, that's a meaning that you've chosen to give to that day. Like you've chosen to define that as the best mother's day that you've ever had, which is a freaking cool way to define it. I'm glad that you did, but that was a freely chosen meaning. And so I just thought with my mom as that example, I just thought I'm going to actually choose to define that last meeting as the best meeting I've been to in that group, because actually <laughs> it could be, I could learn some things from this that could lead to some big outcomes for me if I choose to let that. And so I just think we have to be very, you know, get things out and also choose a meaning that supports you. Choose, a, choose to look at this, find a way. It could be through journaling. You could ask, how would your future self view this? You could try to find people to like help you look at it in a different way, but how can you find a way of looking at your situation? And you might not be able to feel that right now. You'll be able to feel it better and better when you actually get it out of yourself. Because when you turn into words, then you can start to actually think about those words right now. And they're just emotions, they're fog. Um, but you've got to figure out once you get it out of you, how to choose to view it in a way that it's happening for you and that it's something that could help you, even though it's not exactly what you want in the moment. Maybe it didn't turn out how you thought it would. 
it is what it is. And now you have to either learn from it or be defined by it. Thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. And I think that there have been a lot of ways forward, honestly, to start thinking about if any of us are feeling stuck, if anyone listening is feeling like they've been in a darker place. Um, I love just the nature of the first step to be to just share, just find someone and get it out of yourself and stop hanging on to it. Turn it into words. When it's words, you can use it. And that in itself is a courageous act, which then elevates your confidence. So it's almost like the start of the cycle to get you out of and on the path to some kind of freedom from whatever's been holding you back. Any courageous act gets you out of what Carol Dweck calls the tyranny of now, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, it just gets you out of that cage, which that cage can become your personality, honestly. Yeah. Um, but to get out to that place where there's choice, there's freedom, but there's also uncertainty. Thank you so much. Truly, thank you so much. How do we get our hands on this book? How do we find, how do we get more of you basically in our lives? What do we got to do? <laughs> You're awesome. Well, I'm just happy to be with you. This is called Personality Isn't Permanent. The book, you can get it anywhere. Book comes out June 16th. You can get it on Audible, Kindle, et cetera. And yeah, my website's benjaminhardy.com. I've got, I think, all my blog posts there. There's also free online courses that you can access on my website, benjaminhardy.com. And yeah, check out Personalities and Permanent. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put that in the show notes too for anyone who's listening in. Is there a way to pre-order your book or is it just wait? Till the- yeah, anyone can buy it right now. Oh, you can go and buy it right now. Okay, sorry. That's yeah. Okay, awesome. I'm also going to provide you a link. This is just a link to a, a what, what I would consider a more scientific personality test. Oh, amazing. It explains why, it, this, it's a short little article, but it explains why type-based personality tests are not the way to go. And it also is, uh, it's, it's, it's just a way of, a better way of looking at personality um, if you are someone who really likes to do the test. <laughs> this is based on what's called the big five. You know, I actually haven't even taken this test, but just looking at it, I know that it's a more scientifically rigorous and healthy way of looking at personality. Okay, incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you. This has been so incredible. For everyone listening in, check out the show notes. Not only is there a more scientific um, personality test in there for all you personality test junkies, I know you're out there, uh, <laughs> but also um, the link to, um, to Dr. Man Benjamin Hardy's book. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to end it up here and we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to me if you enjoyed the content to please leave a review and a rating and subscribe to the show. It'll help others find us so that we can spread this important message. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, choose Unstoppable.